Welcome back to Beggar's Bread for Season 2, a podcast where we invite Christians and truth seekers to engage with thoughtful sources in an age of disinformation. Our name is inspired from the quote by D.T. Niles, Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Each week, we recommend a source for you, either a sermon, podcast, or video. This week, we bring you a moral collision. And with that, to kick off Season 2, my name is Luke Nellison up in Wisconsin in the Midwest. And I have with me here, well, or I have with me there, Nick from North Carolina, our co-host. How's it going, Nick? Greetings. Oh, it's going well, you know. Got my nap in, yeah. so I'm definitely ready for at least some discussion. You know, I guess we'll find out depending on how much sleep I ended up getting. <laughs> nice. Was it a power nap or was it like a long nap? It was a power nap. I mean, well, power being like for an hour. Any other nap is usually like way longer at this point, given I that see. I wake up at like, you know, 3.30 in the morning to go to work. So that's fun. That is that is fun. Uh, well, in a way. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's fun that you get to work when the moon's out, and they call it a morning shift, so that's cool. <laughs> There's that. Um, amazing. Well, let me uh, let me start off again with a biblical literacy question, Nick. Uh, or just oh, let dear. me ask, when, when people say Pharisee, what do you normally think of? What pops in your mind? Is it like a positive word or a negative word or a neutral word? I think in the broader sense of like most people's understanding, it's usually a negative word. Although I know there's some like, honestly, New Testament scholars have talked about how in many ways Jesus is more similar to Pharisees than our pop culture of Christianity likes to think. Okay. At uh, least as far as like the various sects and movements within like the second temple, first century Judaism is concerned, that is. Oh man, that was that was a lot of big words you just dropped there. Second Temple, first century. Well, okay, let me ask just to um, orient ourselves in the in the same direction as the podcast we're recommending today. Progressives as the new Pharisees and the immorality of the Christian sex ethic uh, by this cultural moment. When they use the word Pharisee, uh, and that pop culture sense that, or pop Christianity is that the word you used? Pop Christianity is that is that a word? I think Did I said something. Make that up? Was it? It's funny that I never remember what I say like thirty seconds later, and I used interpreters all the time and had to do that same thing. I think you were right. <laughs> okay, well, I think in the in the title here, they're they're referring to it as a a negative like, as in like a, a Pharisaical point of point of view right and in many ways like a somewhat of like a puritanistic sort of vibe oh puritanistic man people are gonna have to bring a dictionary to this podcast pretty quick nick uh well, i think i made that one up so i don't think i think you did too. i don't think that's actually a word it might be well i i got I what you're saying I, I think people you figured it out i think most people can figure that out yeah puritanistic I mean. or puritanical or Anyway. puritanical that's better but you know they can quote me on it and then they'll be like oh, i heard it on a podcast it must be true hey uh <laughs> i don't i don't know if we well you know never mind we'll just move on from, that. <laughs> from <laughs> the, i think the key thing in this in this title i think uh you know if you're a conservative you might be sitting there going yeah progressives of the new pharisees like uh we're insulting progressives um, or we're being persecuted or something like that. 
or um yeah i think uh well that's that's a whole other thing too about that is a whole different yeah that's a different um, resource <laughs> that's that yeah i think i think we should keep that in our back pocket and bring that bring all that one for a whole another episode um but i think an important word in this episode title so that the the host of this john mark comer who's in uh, portland usa and mark sayers who's in melbourne australia they're two pastors they partner together to make this kind of like cultural commentary podcast and i think the key word in this title is new the idea that they are new pharisees so if we're calling progressives the new pharisees it kind of suggests there are old pharisees and i don't think oh i might i think i know where you might be going well, I'm not really intending right now to be sitting here in judgment over progressives or conservatives, um, but I think it's important to kind of be able to have this conversation that I'm about to discuss is that Christians have been the old Pharisees, which John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers delve into a little bit. Uh, they kind of briefly allude to it. They don't necessarily dig into it a extensive amount, but they talk about it a little bit, about 80s Christianity, kind of the religious right or the moral majority, as it's sometimes called. Um, but I did want to mention this fascinating topic I've been thinking about, and it's called uh, a wedge issue, which I think will reveal a little bit about how we kind of have these, these idea of these old Pharisees or new Pharisees, whenever there's a Pharisee, this idea of someone who's standing over judgment, kind of over an issue or a person, it's this idea that, you know, I have or we have, my group has the correct way of thinking about an issue. Um, and often these are not very nuanced, at least in our current setting, not that people don't have nuanced. Obviously, I think there are many people on on in a whole bunch of different camps: conservatives, progressives, you know, Republican, Democrat, etc., independents, uh, libertarians that have a lot of nuanced conversation. But often in our public square, they are not very nuanced. But I I was really fascinated by this thing I've I've heard called a wedge issue, and how it's actually been used as a political tool. And I want to present it to everyone to as something that might be helpful to consider. And I'm asking you, Nick, just to put you on the spot, have you ever heard of a wedge issue before? Are you familiar with this term? It might be kind of, again, a term that maybe people call it something else. Um, it's just a term. I'm sure my poli-sci friends have definitely heard of it, but I actually have not, except for when I like briefly read it in our little uh, shared Google Doc. <laughs> sure. Okay, fair enough. Well... So in an interview with Vin Weber, that's a, a former Republican congressman from Minnesota, he actually describes the process of creating a wedge issue. And it's so this is uh, Vin Weber worked with Newt Gingrich and they're referring in this interview that I listened to. It was back in 1994, where he was basically discussing, in hindsight, the strategy to win the midterms of 1994. Um, so for context, Bill Clinton is president. Uh, the Democrats have had the House for multiple decades. I don't remember exactly how many. I think it might have been, might have been four, but I'm not sure exactly. So I may have to look that up. Um, but basically, he's talking about how wedge issues were meant to intensify an issue. He he says it takes large, complicated, complex, 
an important issue and boils it down to what most Americans would think is an indefensible act. So basically this intentional um, taking of a, a large issue um, that's very nuanced, as most conversations are in our public square, like they could be, like issues are very complicated, and it's boiling it down, making it simple, and then kind of painting the other side in this kind of silly way, or um, maybe not silly, but this simplistic way. And then it becomes very difficult to defend that act. So the issue that they were specifically talking about was partial, they called it partial abortion. And basically, obviously, abortion is a very nuanced topic. And we're not really delving into that today. But they were talking about partial birth abortion and the way that it was framed. You know, most Democrats were very queasy about defending that at the time, um, understandably. And basically, what I am trying to present to everyone right now and to you, Nick, is this idea that instead of wedge issues being every once in a while used by people or like Vin Weber kind of talks about how they used it in this in these midterm elections, instead of it becoming instead of it being this kind of novel idea of like, oh, wow, that's an interesting idea that um, was used by Republicans in the 90s. It's become commonplace for everyone to do that. Um, You know, like if you're framing things on Facebook and I think the most helpful just to instead of kind of talking about these abstract terms, I wanted to give an example that I think most people could relate to. And that's um, if you should wear masks or not. And let's say or not. Actually, that might not be the best way to frame it, but let's talk about isolation specifically. So um, if someone is. If if someone is like pro social distancing or pro lockdown or whatever, and I know these are broad terms, but the sense that, hey, you know, we don't want to spread COVID-19. So let's all stay inside um, because I care about people who are immunocompromised. And then someone else might say, well, I don't think we should be in lockdown because I care about people who are in isolation, like my grandparents. And if we are to look at that issue with nuance, I think it would be very important to recognize that both of these sides have a care or empathy for someone who might be vulnerable, like someone who's immunocompromised, trying to protect them by, by staying distanced, or someone who's isolated, who's lonely, trying to care for them by being near to them. And instead of trying to see that in one another, um, it's politically advantageous for either s- sensational um, stories or um, for like the soundbite to basically say, well, the other side, you know, they don't care about my people. They don't care about someone who's immunocompromised or the other side. They don't care about someone who's isolated and, and hold up. And and obviously there's there's a lot more. There's tons of facets to this conversation about about lockdown. So my whole point is that it's complicated and. It's politically advantageous to take something that's complicated, large, and and just using the words of of uh, the Cong- former Congressman Weber, large, complicated, complex, and important issue, and boil it down, and just presenting this as we do this all the time, and now not just with large pol- political strategies, but through social media, we do it all the time. Just in comment section, you know, you can. Just imagine the comments. It's like, oh, so you, you want to kill old people, or oh, you you want to kill, you know, people that are immunocompromised, that kind of, that kind of thing. Like, um, 
how it gets boiled down. So now that now that I've uh, extrapolated on that for a while, Nick, uh, what do you think about my thesis? Do you think that wedge issues have become more common or less common? Or let me boil it down to an indefensible position. Um. <laughs> yeah, just boil it down to an indefensible position because that's definitely where I would love to start by responding, obviously. Um, right. I feel like, I mean, like, definitely leading up, I mean, based on my understanding of, like, 90s political culture and, like, leading up into to early 2000s and then 2010s and so forth through even 2016 and into our even increasingly, or at least seemingly convinced, um, increasingly polarized environment. And I think we actually have bonus resources coming up that are going to be talking about this as well, in which those moments... As divisive as they are, yeah, they are tools in such a way as to promote one side is being completely right and the other one being completely wrong and thereby invalidating that and not having, like we talked about, those discussions on whatever topic it could be. I mean, like, you could even go so far as to say, like, what was very much considered a bipartisan issue, uh, refugee resettlement, became something of a, you know political like die on this hill sort of thing where it says all refugees are bad or you know no vetting measures whatsoever um in which case i mean historically there have been and so this is not necessarily the greatest example either because historically like i said there have been very good vetting measures in place which has resulted in statistical data showing that the likelihood of refugees committing crimes is very nil almost zero essentially um but in that same vein thinking about how you can from one political party to the next create that wedge and it becomes endemic or continues to exacerbate these increasingly polarizing times so i could probably agree with your analogy hey fair enough i mean maybe i didn't I should have made it more indefensible. Forced you to agree. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, see, like, this is the only way to think about this nuanced topic. Of course. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I, I just wanted to mention it. I thought it fit really well with what, <clears throat> excuse me, that John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers are saying in this episode that we're recommending in the sense that they're talking about how there is this view of, like, high moral ground that, if, if we look at like the political spectrum, almost like on a line, like right to left, instead of there being a lot of nuance in the middle, there's increasingly like a, a trough or like a lower middle part. And there's these two camps of like moral high ground of like looking at each other, like we are correct, you are wrong. Um, and I just wanted to share what I thought was an incredible insight for me when I was learning about this. And that some of that has done, been done very intentionally. Some of it happens because of our different convictions, of course, but some of it has been done by design. Um, and that's not just to throw Republicans under the bus. I, I do think it's it's across the board. I think it's a common, a common thing to do for fundraising or for trying to energize your base or et cetera. Um, but anyway, before we, uh, before we go today, I did want to, of course, mention our co-listener. Uh, this is Dina from North Carolina in Raleigh. Uh, and she says, Christians often seem to expect non-Christians to have the same mindset or lifestyle framework. Uh, from that, many have also attempted to legislatively impose that belief system on the whole population. I can imagine when there is a perceived assault on traditional Christian values, 
it is not an assault, but merely those who believe differently desiring to have their own freedom. Um, so thank you, Dina, for that uh, co-listening with our episode today um, with this cultural moment. Um, Nick, uh, before we wrap it up, were there any other things we wanted to plug? I mean, we do have a bonus episode that should be released as well. So if you are if you want to join our Patreon for, I think it's $2 a month, um, we'll be talking about ableism, actually. And next week, uh, we'll be talking about praying with our bodies. Another interview, actually. Uh, first interview for season two. Yeah, very, very fun stuff. Definitely be willing to check it out, you know. Take a risk. Spend two bucks. Whatever it takes. But, um... I think as far as this podcast go that we're recommending, um, one of the quotes that I found to be most captivating that really, in many ways, encapsulated kind of what they're talking about, um, as far as like how Christians should act in this moment, right, is um, kind of like more of a warning. So he says, we are always, or we always are in more danger of synchronizing and compromising Christianity with the side that we naturally align with more. Um, so that was stemming from a conversation where he says, you know, people have this natural inclination to follow along. You know, if you have a disposition to where you're saying, ah, the left, like I'm bothered by some of the policies of that, then you're going to be more inclined towards leaning further right and then vice versa. So if you have um, things that you find innately wrong or just policy standards, whatever, with regard to the right, then you're going to lean more to the far left. And so that creates again that kind of um position of non-compromise i guess in that you don't follow necessarily what the kingdom of god is advocating for but rather for one platform or another yes yes that 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 just that warning that caution it kind of it kind of actually connects well with episode one of season one of holy distance that that sermon that scott cunningham had offered us um, very similar caution Um, with that thank you guys so much for joining us again uh, for season two for episode one we hope you enjoyed our time with us and we'll see you back next week